Hello, this is Digital Accessibility, the people behind the progress. I'm Joe Walensky, the creator and host of this series. And as an accessibility professional myself, I find it very interesting as to how others have found their way into this profession. So let's meet one of those people right now and hear about their journey. All right, well, here we go with another episode where I have the opportunity to talk with an accessibility professional. And today I'm pleased to be speaking with Stephanie Walter. Hello, Stephanie. How are you? Hello, I'm fine. And you? Yeah, very good. Thank you so much for uh, participating in this. Uh, I'm talking from my home office on Vashon Island, which is near Blink's headquarters office in Seattle, Washington in the United States. Uh, where are you talking to us from? Uh, no, I'm in Luxembourg. I think the first time we met, I was in Strasbourg, but now I'm in Luxembourg. All right. Well, we always enjoy having uh, perspectives from people in different parts of the world. So thanks for uh, taking the time. And uh, so I, I guess it's uh, an early evening for you right now. Yeah. <laughs> Almost food time. All right. Well, thank you again for uh, for uh, electing to do that. Um, I, we, we have met before. We've uh, talked before. In fact, uh, we worked together uh, on an event in the past. Uh, but uh, now you're involved in a lot of accessibility activities. And so, you know, I'm always trying to keep up with uh, the many things you're involved in. But for people who aren't familiar with you, uh, talk a little bit about who you are and the type of work that you're involved with. Sure. So I'm Stephanie Walter. I live and work in Luxembourg and I work as a consultant, mostly in enterprise UX, which means I work on internal tool for employee in to help them do their daily job. And um, today I work for a consulting company named Maltem. And I'm on a super big long mission for a client. It has been three years now. I'm working for the European Investment Bank. And we are currently migrating the uh, 18th, no, like, no, it's like 19 years old almost, uh, tool to a new system. And uh, we are doing a lot of user research in the process to understand how people um, used the old one in order to migrate the right features, the right um, content and all of that. So yeah. That's mostly what I do at the moment. I'm still doing a lot of conferences. I still have a blog. I also do workshops online now because with the pandemic, we've all invested in microphones and all of that. So it's very convenient to be able to do it online too. So, yeah. Well, I, um, you know, I, I know uh, you'll, you'll probably be talking about your, uh, you know, your UX background and, and then getting new accessibility, but I also, uh, you know, know that you've been uh, putting out, uh, you know, a lot of very useful information uh, publicly for people to use uh, based on your own experiences with accessibility. And so I want to talk about uh, that yes. as well when when we get to that so people are aware of it. But, uh, you know, one of the things I like to do with this podcast is go back in time and find out where people uh, first found their way into accessibility. Uh, so how was it for you with uh, your working life, uh, your lived life, where you first became aware of accessibility? 
Yeah, so I don't think I heard about accessibility when I was uh, doing my master's degree, but then I did an internship in Germany. And um, I was supposed to design iOS application and I had no experience with that. And I checked the iOS uh, guidelines and there were kind of very small mentions about accessibility, uh, kind of some little, um, I guess, because it was not developed as mu uh, that much in like very, very old version of iOS. But I kind of heard the term as like, oh, okay, that's kind of interesting. And uh, kind of, to be honest, before that, when I was doing, um, du uh, during, when was I? Uh, no, it was not at the university, it was even before that. We had to do something um, with the class and they told us uh, we need to pick a topic on inclusion. And it was like, okay, you have this big, big broad topic on inclusion. And we say, okay, what could we do? And my friend went, you know, I know someone who's uh, deaf of hearing and uh, maybe we could check a little bit uh, how uh, are deaf people included uh, in our society? And then they ask you like, yeah, this is very broad topic. So usually when you do something with students, they ask you to narrow it down. So we ended up um, working on uh, how are deaf people included in the kind of cultural life in the place I was living in. And we interviewed some deaf people to understand a little bit, how do they do it when I want to go to the theater, when they want to go uh, to the movies, things like that. So like the first time I was actually involved with accessibility on a global area was that. And then when I started designing interfaces, um, this is when I was like, oh, actually there's not just like accessibility of daily like a wheelchair things like when you think about accessibility often this is the first thing that comes to mind people like okay have a wheelchair access something like that but then i discovered digital accessibility and making sure your website native applications are accessible too so it was kind of during my internship and i started reading on the topic it was very interesting and then when i came back to work in france for a web agency they actually had an accessibility expert so I was allowed to go to his training and then I was trained uh, with other people during that. And uh, one of the things we did a lot with uh, that company was they were really very proud, they still are very proud of making accessible websites. So uh, everyone who works for uh, with them or for them is going to go through the trainings, used to at least, I don't know if it's still the case. So yeah, I was kind of able to dig further into kind of technical topic of accessibility at that time. This is, I think, when I wrote my first article about accessibility, which was about uh, color accessibility and how can you do it when you have a color that it's not passing the contrast ratio, a couple of tools, kind of how do you build an accessible color palette, something like that, which is usually the first thing designers think about when it comes to accessibility is colors. And then from color, I went to different topics. And after that, I discovered I have a disability. I thought, uh, like, okay, I didn't know it was a disability, but basically I have a vestibular disorder, which is pretty mild. It doesn't affect my daily life. The only very annoying thing is, um, so how can I explain that? It's like, basically, my internal ear doesn't work properly, and I, I am over-reliant on my sight for balance, which is okay, except when I'm in a car and I'm not in the front side, then I have things that move around. And my, my eyes is like, yeah, you have stuff that are moving around. And my internal ear is like, nope, you're not moving. And basically, I get nauseous. 
which is annoying in car, but uh, I can also have issues with websites, for instance, where you have a lot of parallax, scrolling effects, all of that, that can give me headaches and make me nauseous for the day. Or like for certain video games, again, I wasn't aware of that, but uh, when I was a child, I, start, I tried playing Spyro the Dragon. I was nauseous about after five minutes. I was like, yeah, I don't understand why does this very specific um, video game make me nauseous. It's because of a vestibular uh, disorder, basically. So I kind of dug a little bit more into this topic as well to understand, okay, what's going on and uh, how can we make sure that websites basically don't make people nauseous or don't give them a headache, which is kind of very niche. I don't think it's kind of big area in terms of how many people have such issues, but it's still part of digital accessibility for sure. Well, uh, thanks for uh, sharing your your personal physical challenge with that. Uh, it, you know, it's always uh, you know helpful to hear about those experiences. And and so, just kind of to recap your uh, experience, uh, you had your your own uh, you know personal challenge that you had to deal with, but you were also fortunate to be uh, in an organization early on that embraced accessibility yeah. as well as getting experience. Uh, in uh, your uh, academic studies early on. So uh, first of all, that's just a great, great way to get exposed to that. And, uh, you know, a lot of people have, you know, more difficulty finding their way into accessibility. Uh, but, you know, even with all of that, what were some of the challenges that you encountered in feeling like you really understood accessibility? And, you know, how did you, mm -hmm. you know, how did you prepare yourself better? For me, it's kind of uh, like WCAG criteria are very sometimes loose. So you have all the example to understand how it's working. So you have to do a lot of reading to understand very specifically different topics, different area to make sure that you're not messing anything up, which is kind of, I think, maybe this is why kind of accessibility, um, people think it's complicated because the way it's written is kind of super high level enough to be super generic. But at the same time, you have to rely on all the example. And also it covers a lot of topics. Like it's basically trying to include every different kind of disabilities. So it means that, yeah, of course, it's going to be a complex topic. But I think the biggest challenge is more like making people understand um, how important accessibility is. But also that if you tackle it from the start, it doesn't have to cost a lot more money. That's always a kind of the, the issue. But it's the same with everything. I think it's the same with security. It's the same with user experience. Is if you don't invest it at the beginning of the project, you just do something like, you know, like Silicon Valley, do fast, fail fast, something like that. And then, yeah, of course, you push inaccessible product to the market and correcting them will cost a lot of money because you have to rebuild part of the stuff and correct and change and like it has impacts and stuff like that. On the other hand, if you start by having designer who understand accessibility guidelines, who understand the needs, who starts designing accessible website, native application systems, and then you have developers who also understand it, then it doesn't have to cost a lot more money. It's just kind of part of the process. And I think that's kind of the biggest issue we have at the moment is a lot of people didn't care about it for a very long time, especially in Europe. 
I know they're like, yeah, but it costs a lot of money. And you, I've seen some horrible comments on LinkedIn because stuff like, you know, uh, it's like the Pareto law, we cater for like 20% or something like that. And they're like, yeah, but uh, we don't have disabled people in our audience. So why would we care about those people and something like that? So it's, like, it's always this kind of very horrible thing you read, like where people just kind of try to find an excuse to make something not accessible. Which is yeah. hard to kind of not be mad at some point. <laughs> like reading the same stuff again and again is kind of. Yeah, it's unfortunate, you know, when we encounter where people are, you know, specifically uh, being negative. And I think, unfortunately, we found it's easy for people to make comments through social media now. And we find that in all different parts of our 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 culture uh i i think it is uh, it is a reality though that we all st mm. we're, we're still in a p period as accessibility professionals where we have to continue to evangelize and educate people and and maybe you know just take the approach that uh and maybe maybe some people really don't understand you know challenges and yeah. haven't met and experienced people within their network uh you know that that we know benefit so much from from this type of work so yeah i, I try to i just try to think of that as as part of my work activity it's is it's one of the things that that i know i'm gonna have yeah. to do um i you mm -hmm. mentioned uh you mentioned uh uh some of the uh, activities in uh, you're part of the world, and that was one of the questions I wanted to ask. Uh, so you mentioned you're in Luxembourg right now. In the past, uh, you'd been in Strasbourg when I talked to you. Uh, so uh, yeah, are there any uh, things about accessibility that you find are unique to the geographic area that you're in, either that part of Europe or Europe more generally, that maybe is different from what you see or, or feel is happening in other parts of the world? So in Europe for now, we didn't really have, uh, we had some stuff on accessibility on a kind of low level, a higher level, but it was only for public websites and then administration websites, things like that. So basically, if you have uh, kind of the tax website is supposed to be accessible in every country and everything that is around citizenship and all of that and citizen the thing is, if it's not, nothing happens to you, <laughs> which is like you, you get a kind of, a, I don't even know if uh, people can complain to someone somewhere that your website is not accessible. So for now in Europe, it was very complicated because there was no fines like financial fines or anything. And until 2025, where a new law is coming in Europe, uh, private websites, they basically, they don't care, most of them, because they're like, yeah, but uh, what happens to me if my website is not accessible? I was like, well, you lose customers. <laughs> it's like, yeah, but on a regulation level, like, do I get a fine? It's like, no, but so, so for now, no fines, nothing. And in 2025, we have a new um law that is coming from Europe so it's called directive from Europe and then like Europe gives kind of a framework and then every single country needs to uh build this framework within their own lo laws 
a little bit like GDPR, you know, like GDPR is uh, highest level Europe and then every country has something. So at the moment, all the countries are kind of starting for some, it's a little bit late, but okay, are starting to build this within their law and they have until 2025 to do so. And normally in 2025, um, it will um, concern not only public websites, but also private websites. There's kind of some things like if you have less than, if you hire less than 10 people and if you make less than 1 million euro a year, something like that. So like if you're a very, very small company, you are still not, you will not still not be required by law to be accessible. But like for those big companies that we have in Europe, they should be. So this is going to be interesting to see what's going to happen. And normally they should be fine. And from, ah, I'm not a lawyer. So that's the thing is like for now it's on the lawyer level because it has to go through every single country where every single country is putting, creating a law, especially for that. And from what I've read in Luxembourg, but it may change. Uh, you can have uh, up to five thousand, uh, five thousand. Uh, uh, I'm bad at names. Uh, at numbers, five hundred thousand uh, euro, the first year, and if after one year it's still not accessible, uh, it's one million. But I don't know if it's one million because it's two years, the five hundred, or it's like one million on top of the other five. So again, this is stuff that is being prepared at the moment. So we need to see, but uh, the fun part is it's a European law. So that's going to be the fun part in Luxembourg because in Luxembourg, for instance, we don't have a lot of e-commerce websites. I usually shop from German websites, from Belgian websites, from French ones who accept to send stuff to Luxembourg. So my main question here would be if I shop on a French website that's not accessible, who do I complain to? <laughs> Luxembourg because they deliver to Luxembourg or France because they're based in France. So, so yeah, it's gonna be fun, fun, fun regarding laws. Well, it'll be uh, inter yeah interesting to follow that along in in the news over the next couple of years and mm. see what happens with that. And uh, you know, certainly that sounds like it's gonna be you know one important part in in helping uh, you know with the compliance portion. Um, I, ideally. Uh, you know, we help organizations understand the return on investment of supporting uh, people yeah. that maybe have never been customers because they weren't able to uh, use a service uh, and that type of thing. Um, I, I do want to mention the uh, you know, the work that you do in putting together uh, information for public consumption. So I, I, I know you've, you've done a few different things. Uh, one of those is that you have your uh, your accessibility uh, uh, resources site. Uh, maybe talk about that and some of the other things that you're doing to uh, contribute uh, resources and ideas to the to the profession. Yeah, I I had a lot of discussion with a lot of people in private messages and Slack and stuff like that. On uh, okay, but I want to start as a designer uh, with accessibility. Where should I start? So I ended up collecting a, a big list of like tools, resources, checklists, um, trainings. Also are on the list. So I was like, you know what? I'm not just going to send it privately to people. So I made an article with all of those. 
And that's the idea. Like I'm trying to build some articles at the moment with a lot of lists. I'm might be working on something on um, accessibility for uh, neurodivergent people, like on the autistic spectrum, ADHD, dyslexia, things like that. Because it's very specific topic as well that is not that much covered, but there's still interesting resources on there. So this is something I'm currently working on. And um, I've basically built a workshop that is uh, teaching designers how to bake accessibility in the beginning of the project as a designer. I'm saying baking because I'm using a lot of uh, examples with cooking recipe websites. So it's kind of <laughs> ongoing pun with uh, my contents. And yeah, the, the idea is to help designers teach them what can you do as a designer to promote accessibility uh, from things in your mockups, things like how do you document certain aspects of accessibility to help your developers to uh, how do you make sure that you can push some features on the roadmap. So one of the things is like I went through a lot of the, um, the way I guideline and I checked, okay, for each, is it, it can designer actually do something about that? Because if you think about caption, you might say, okay, but look like caption, what can I do about caption as a designer? What do you, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to write the caption or something? But then if you think you're a product designer, you're working on the tool like Zoom, at some point, the tool needs to support the caption. So you need to actually design the product feature that will let people have caption like automated or not automated ones. So even you, if you might think, yeah, but this is not the realm of design because caption is written text. Well, at some point, eventually as a designer, you need to have that feature in the interface and you need to design it. So here, as a designer, what you could do is you can push in the roadmap to have captions in the in the tool you're currently designing. And also then you can have a, a few tips on uh, how to make caption readable for people. But it's mostly things like that. So it's not just about, okay, here is contrast ratio, color contrast, stuff like that. The color is part of the thing, but it's really also like regarding features and functionalities when it comes to accessibility. There's also interesting thing we can do as designers. So yeah, we'll, that's uh, We'll uh, include information about your resources list and, and your workshops in the in the show notes. Uh, yeah, are, are there uh, any other things uh, that you're working on that uh, you're excited about for the future, or are there you know, some things that uh, you're hopeful for for the accessibility profession to be working on? Uh, I've seen WCAG 2.2 is getting closer, which is nice. So for now, we have WCAG 2.1 is uh, the official one. And uh, there's new interesting thing in the 2.2, especially regarding, again, cognitive disability that um, that can help a lot of people. So I'm keeping an eye on uh, what's going on on uh, 2.2. And... Uh... Um, you're always uh, you you do you do uh, a lot of presence at at workshops. Uh, you gonna be doing any other accessibility talks uh, coming up this year? <laughs> uh, it's not signed yet, so I don't want to jinx it. Okay. But, um, I might be doing my uh, accessibility for designer workshop uh, online at the end of the year. I need to answer some emails. <laughs> I'm late. Sorry. <laughs> But yeah, so I might do that one. Um, I'll also be teaching accessibility for designer in a master degree in Strasbourg. That will be remote, but that will be 2025, I think. 
because like the way it works with master degrees, they have to submit the new courses and all of that. It usually takes a little bit of time. But yeah, for sure, I want to, to develop um, some things online. So I will partner with a live workshop and then I might try to think, okay, maybe I could do like some on-demand things. Like there's some ideas about having part of me pre-recording some high-level content, more like uh, theory contents, and then having after this uh, recording some live session with the people if they want to do more exercise, stuff like that. So um, I have projects and plans <laughs> to bring something on accessibility for designers and documenting accessibility online uh, for the end of the year, I hope, for sure. Well, those are all good to uh, hear about. It's uh, always great to hear about new uh, university level uh, classes being started as well so that we can continue to build that foundation of education for accessibility. Uh, well, uh, Stephanie, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, share your experiences with me today. And hopefully I'll be able to run into you again uh, at another event at some point. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye. All right. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Joe Walensky, and as host of the Digital Accessibility Program, I like to keep the focus on our amazing guests. But I'm always excited about my role as Accessibility Director at Blink, the producer of this program, and I'd like to share that with you. Blink is the world's leader in evidence-driven design, and we work with a wide variety of clients. Founded in Seattle, we also have offices in Boston, New York, Austin, San Diego, and San Francisco. Our stated mission is to make technology human. Embracing inclusive design and accessibility brings all of us closer to that mission. We bring accessibility in every one of our projects. Our philosophy is that each of our practitioners should understand how accessibility applies to their own work. Accessibility is not a separate department or activity for us. Our researchers, designers, and developers all employ accessibility principles at every stage. If you have a need for research and design services, Blink is a partner with a full-time commitment to making your product or service accessible and a great experience for all of your customers. Some of the specific areas where we can help, using research to better understand the needs of your customers with disabilities, innovating to make sure your accessibility is the best in class design, we can move existing designs to development in a sprint. And maybe most importantly, we provide a turnkey transformation to an accessible site or app. Of course, compliance status is something that we always include as part of the service. If any of this is of interest, please get in touch with me directly at joe at blinkux.com. That's J-O-E at B-L-I-N-K-U-X.com. Thank you. And please take a moment to rate our program in whatever app you use.